It's me, Vivian Gabor. This is a new episode of Yeah, But the Podcast. Um, I am so excited because this is our first episode with our new format, and I get to sit down with one of my favorite drag artists ever, the one and only Frankie Doom. Hello. Hello. How's it going? (laughs) How's quarantine treating you? Um... It's been, actually, I've enjoyed it. I'm not going to lie. Like, I know a lot of people hate it. <laughs> um, what I hate is being home in Los Angeles. I'm usually, like, gone working for the summer. So, yeah. usually Alaska, where it's, like, not so hot. Oh, my um, God. Yeah, completely. And it's beautiful and green, and I can go outside and, like, not see people everywhere. So, yeah, it's definitely different to be sitting in Los Angeles and, like, I don't know, being around people and just businesses and stuff. It's weird. But... Aside from the heat, I don't hate it. Like, I really enjoyed being home with my parents and spending time with my family and being with my puppies and just hanging out, working on drag. Digital drag has been really fun. Yeah, I I feel like I feel like digital drag has absolutely opened up a new window into this art form for a lot of us. And we're realizing, like, all of the things that we can actually do with it. And it's really yeah. exciting. Yeah, I mean, I felt so obsolete for, like, a minute because there's so many... I mean, as it is, like... If you did drag five years ago, you're obsolete because all these new queens have, you know, all the money and all the hair. And, like, it's just such a fucking, like, I don't know how you put it. Like, there's such a expectation of what drag is now. Mm-hmm. that you have to have the jewelry and the hair and the gloves and everything. So it just feels like you have to constantly keep up. And then when it came to digital stuff, I felt like I was ancient. Like, everybody had a green screen. Everybody had all this going on. And I was like, holy shit, I'm just sitting here in front of my, like, you know computer like phone (laughs) and there's like lighting in the background i don't know so it's been really cool to like pick up green fabric and try to figure out how that works and yeah like making videos that are actually kind of fun and honestly i I mean aside from the green screen and stuff i think my favorite video was my exorcist video that i did and we shot that in one take and it, it just happened to work out like everything worked out really well the music was great um i had my boyfriend pulling off the blankets so like they were flying off and it was like really scary and my friend was a priest. We had a Bible. We had holy water. And I snapped his neck and killed him at one point. So I think when it actually aired, they had to edit it so that you can't see him die. Because people thought he died for real. And it looked really mm. realistic. So I love I love trigger warnings in my, in my art. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely is, is a new consideration that we have to, we have to come up with. Because on stage, you like if if you pretend like someone dies on stage, the audience gets that chance at the end where they stand up and it's like, okay, yeah, we're all good. But <laughs> but in, online, you don't get that moment. You don't get to see the people out of out of the element. He dropped pretty intense. So it looked like he just got killed. So that's I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I need to that's see this cool. video. I've been enjoying that. I've been enjoying the art aspect of it and stoning everything and making everything pretty and sparkly and 
bloody and gross. <laughs> I, I have definitely discovered the beauty of stoning things during... during Isn't it so therapeutic? It is. Like, I'll just... I watched... So I got a Disney Plus account, and I just watched, like, five Disney movies in a row one day and just sat there stoning. And 3,000 stones later, I was like, wait, I'm out of stones. What just happened? <laughs> I actually, I, I, I got Zochi's Disney Plus. So I've been getting into Disney Plus, yeah. too. <laughs> I just watched a whole bunch of Star Wars movies. That was pretty awesome. And then, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I just got into the fucking, um, what is it called? The Descendants? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We watched the first one. It was better than I thought it was going to be. Okay, I got so sucked in. I was like, let's watch two and three. Let's get this together. <laughs> I mean, to <laughs> be fair, <laughs> right? To be fair, the best moment of the first one is absolutely Kristen Chenoweth's song. But um, yeah, I, I love how campy here. and dorky it is, and like unapologetically so. I want to be Maleficent's daughter. Oh my god! Right. <laughs> Her hair I... is purple. Everything's purple. I was obsessed. <laughs> anyway, so so the new format of the podcast it's not really a format but the new focus of the podcast um is we're here to um be queer people together and be able to um celebrate our uh victories throughout our lives because i feel like a lot of the queer experience and maybe this is just for me but a lot of my queer experience at least has been like focusing on oh my god this terrible thing happened to us and then this terrible thing happened to us and we're in the media again for this person, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I really want to be able to focus on lifting each other up and finding those stories of people who have worked their ways up and out and um, built themselves up and, enc and encourage others through that. Um, so I'm so excited. I don't know what your stories are, but I'm so <laughs> excited to start hearing some of your story, because I don't think we've ever gotten a chance to like sit down and actually have like a heart to heart. No, it's always been hanging out, listening to music or being out somewhere. So yeah, this is actually really cool. <laughs> um, what do you want to know? Do you want to start my 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 queer journey from my youth? <laughs> sure, let's absolutely start there. Um, I came out really early. Uh, I've always kind of known that I was different and that I was into dudes, and I knew. And I guess at an early age, I knew that it was wrong, so I couldn't really tell anybody. Mm. Um, but my mom is a Mexican mom, so she's nosy as shit and goes through all your stuff. Um, so she at one point went through my books and my letter books I had with friends and stuff. And she said, Hey, I think your friend's gay. Cause we had written each other love notes and there was like porn in there and things that I had printed out and like posted <laughs> in book, you know? So, um, I specifically remember it was like, you know, those fake celebrity photos where it's like a celebrity's head put on like a naked person's body. Literally lived my entire life on those. Okay, so this is like back in the day. So mine was, I think mine was like Nick Carter. So I had like the Backstreet Boys, <laughs> Nick Carter, like <laughs> naked, hugging, I think it was Justin Timberlake. <laughs> oh my God. And that was the picture she saw. So um, I remember telling her like, yes, he is gay and you know, so am I. And she freaked out and cried and it was just this big thing. Um, but I mean, I, looking at it now, I see things completely differently. But at the time, it was kind of like, I felt super unsupported, super like, okay, you're not understanding me. And mm. my mother also had, at that, at that same time, we were just moving from our house. We, had, we were well off at the time and had so much going on. And then she had a stroke mm. and she was 29. So the doctors oh didn't my really God. know what had happened to her, why it even happened to her. And they misdiagnosed it, so she had another. 
Oh. So that ended up with her being in a wheelchair and having to learn how to walk again. So she was going through all of that. My dad was like, okay, your mom isn't working, so I have to work double time and figure this shit out. We're ha- we have to downsize a little. Um, we have a baby sister now. Like, there was just so <laughs> much stress going on. And then here, here I am, this gothic, like, queer kid, you know, starting shit all the time and wanting to go out and party and be crazy. So I understand where they were coming from, but at the time I didn't. So I was just angry and, mm-hmm. you know, they weren't understanding who I was. And it wasn't even that. It was that I was trying to be myself fully and authentically. And my dad was like, everything out of your mouth is stupid. Like, everything you say is dumb. I don't have time for this. And, <laughs> you know, there was a lot of, like, anger and a lot of, like, resentment. So I just kind of felt like I wasn't getting what I needed from my loved ones. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, I... I was getting it from other places and that kind of went to like really unhealthy places like drug use and, you know, just navigating my teenage life with meth. Yeah. <laughs> that was the first thing I, that was the first thing I tried. I didn't even try weed first. Oh I my God. The powders they're glamorous. Um, and I really enjoyed them. You know, I, I loved being awake. I loved being up. I loved being up all night when my parents were asleep <laughs> so I could like live my life with no one around. Um, but yeah, that, that became really unhealthy and I started looking for attention from men, basically, like mm-hmm. anywhere I can get it. If you said I was pretty, all right, let's do this. What do I need? Yeah. You know, I, started re- I realized early on that my looks were what got me places. Mm. So even my dad would tell me, how do you get to go out all the time? How do you pay for things? I don't give you money. What are you doing? And I would always tell him, I have my looks. Don't worry about it. I don't need money. I'm good. And I mean, the drug use is crazy and... I was always ditching school and, uh, you know, like disappearing for days at a time. And it got to the point where I believe I was like 18 years old and I had developed such a crazy addiction that I left my house. I was living with a friend whose father was never around. So we were always Mm. just having drugs everywhere. Um, STDs happened, of course, because I was messy and trashy and doing a whole bunch of drugs (laughs) and sex with a whole bunch of people. Um, It was just a really dark time. It was a dark time of me not loving myself, but thinking that I did. Thinking yeah. that, you know, what I'm doing is positive. What I'm doing is taking care of myself. I'm out there, you know, using my body, using my looks and finding what I need. And it wasn't at all what I needed. And it was super negative and super destructive, self-destructive. Yeah. And I never had to pay for the drugs, really, to be honest with you. So it was never like an issue of money. It was always, I happened to know someone whose brother was dealing or I happened to know someone who thought I was attractive who would give me bags of drugs. So it was never an issue where my friends were dating a dealer. So it just happened to be mm-hmm. a very easy thing to get. And yeah. it was just crazy. I, I gave up my, my ties to my family pretty much. I stopped talking to them. I stopped loving them. I stopped pretty much knowing them. And there's memories that I have where we did try to get together and I would just destroy the whole situation. Like it was my sister's graduation. I jumped out of a window and left and took off with some dude. Oh um, when I came to, you know, when I came to visit, um, I would start shit and fight with them all the time. And it was just me in a really fucked up mental place, you know, and kind of being like, why don't you love me? Why don't you get me? Why don't you support me? Why aren't you, you know, getting who I am as a person? And it was a lot of pain, you know, and even like artistically, I've always been an artistic person. I've always wanted to be a star. I always tell my parents, whatever it is, mm-hmm. I'm going to be a fucking star somehow. I never yeah. knew I was going to be dressing up like a woman, but... <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, it is what it is, you know, I, I'm doing what I love to do. But at the time, they were just like, no, makeup isn't for you. That's not for boys. Yeah. Pink is for girls, blue is for boys. And I would always tell my mom, like, well, then I'm purple and girl because I'm somewhere in between both, you know. <laughs> and it was hard. It was really hard. And um, 
I think I told myself like I would never inject myself with anything. And if I got to a place where I was hearing voices or seeing weird shit that wasn't there, I needed to quit. And it got to a point where I was, uh, I think 20 years old. I had been gone for a while. I lost my job. I was living, dating someone, but you're not really dating someone when you're on drugs. You're just doing drugs. So yeah. we, had nothing, we had nothing in common. We were just sitting together doing drugs all day. And um, he totally had whiskey dip, so we couldn't even have sex. Um, <laughs> so it, it was just mess. Um, and I was just super unhappy, super dark, super just in a really fucked up place. And I remember more people came to stay with us and they were all drug addicts and they were all stealing things and doing bad shit. And needles came out at one point and I was seeing people shoot up and stuff. And it scared me. I didn't want to be in that anymore. And at one point they were all talking about cops and things being outside and raiding us and stuff. And I would always open the window and say, there's nobody there, guys. Relax, like calm down. And one day there was, there was a cop outside. And I was like, okay, this is my moment. This is my moment to like get my shit together and run because they're going to come take these people to prison, (laughs) you know? And I escaped. I got out. I had a friend to come get me and I moved back home. And it was really hard to get sober because you you can't do it keeping those people near you or friendships that you had because everyone's always trying to give you that one last bump or, you know, one last time you'll be fine. And, it was super hard to keep the friends that I had since I was a child because they were all doing meth in garage, garages and still doing drugs and I didn't want to. So I tried hanging out with them a few times and that just turned into me relapsing and using meth again and then getting sick because I hadn't done it in a while. So, and I, I mean, I'm not playing around. I would do like large amounts. So I would end up throwing up and getting really sick because I did way too much and I was going to have literally a heart attack. <laughs> you know? Oh my so, God. It was bad, and I ended up having to kind of cut off everyone that I knew and kind of start over and meet yeah. new people. And even then, they weren't the most positive people. I was still doing stupid shit. Like, I only knew how to do dumb shit. I wasn't yeah. a positive person yet, you know? And I feel like all that turned around when I finally got sober, and cold turkey just stopped one day and went to sleep. Because I used to tell people, like, I only sleep... Um, like three hours a week. I only shit once a week because I only eat a four piece nugget. I was so skinny. And that was what got me by. I mean, even my family wasn't fully aware of what I was doing, but they were like, you look so good. Oh, you're so thin. Mm. Oh, you look amazing. And when I started uh, quitting, they would always tell me, why are you so fat? Why are you getting so big? What's the matter? You you used to look so great. Why do you look fat now? Why are you obese? that, That used to drive me crazy. And it was just really shitty. And I feel like also they didn't want to see it because there were times that like I'd pass out from not sleeping for so long and doing drugs for so long and they would break into my room to find me and I'd be knocked out with like a pipe next to me and like a baggie and I'd be like no no no, I sell it I don't do what I sell it (laughs) you know and for some reason that was like more like understandable that okay well you're making money somehow don't do that ever again versus (laughs) you know you're I think it was easier to believe that I was doing something illegal versus my son's a drug addict so they were like stop doing that you know be a better person and um yeah I think uh, I came home I ended up getting back together with my parents and kind of just talking things over and trying to get myself together and go back to work and get a job and you know figure some stuff out and still was a party animal and I got fired from working at the movies <laughs> but I happened to meet my boyfriend there I went there after to um, watch a movie with one of my best friends and he was working at the concession stand and he complimented my tattoo and we kept in touch and he was amazing. 
and I'm not the easiest person to be around, especially then. And he stuck <laughs> it out. And um, I think when we first met, I got wasted and he doesn't drink. Or well, at the time he didn't drink or do anything like that. So um, yeah, I got in his car and I got naked and I was trying to have sex with him. And he was like, I'm not gonna have my first time being in a car. You're trash, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's because he turned me down that I was like, all right, well, I'm gonna get this bus. Like it's gonna happen. So mm. um, we have been together 13 years now. Wow. <laughs> And I think he's kind of like what turned around everything, like getting to know someone and actually getting to know them mm. and being in my actual mind and not out of my mind on drugs and just kind of starting over. It feels like I don't know who that person was. I don't know who pre 21 years old me was. I don't know who that is. I feel like that never happened or that's like blurs of like memories and bad decisions. And um, so I feel like I'm a teenager now. I feel like I'm a forever 18 year old or 17 year old, like, I'm not an adult yet. I'm still trying to figure shit out because I don't, I don't remember my childhood. <laughs> a yeah. lot of it, you know? But I think that's a, really amazing. And he supported me a lot. That's amazing. Yeah, I think that's a big thing for a lot of queer people is that we, whether it um, is due to, to sobriety or whether it's due to the houses that we grew up in or the places we grew up in, I think a lot of us dealt with that inability to... Um, go through adolescence at, a, at the typical age and, and experience the things that you're supposed to experience in order to become a functioning human being. It's and, insane. Yeah. Like, it's insane to think about my sister. Like I have a younger sister and she's the complete opposite. Like she's all about school. Um, she never really made a lot of friends and started going out or doing a lot of functions. And I think about like her being 16 and sitting on the table in my, in my kitchen, like doing homework and having little, study sessions and stuff and I was like at 16 I was at a party faking my age and doing drugs and I was um I ended up in situations where I was like sexually assaulted by people and you know mm -hmm. and there was weapons involved it was scary shit so I just think about like what the hell was I doing what was wrong with me like what what the fuck like it's, it's crazy to like compare my youth to hers because it's so different you yeah. know and she had a lot of the support when it comes to, well, she's straight and she wants to be a doctor. So there's that. So my parents are fully into like, you're going to go to college. You're going to, we're going to get you a car. We're going to do this. And for me, it was, well, you're gay. We don't get you. We don't know what this is. Why are you wearing black all the time? Okay. You're stealing and getting arrested for being a bad kid. You're on drugs. We're not going to buy you a car. You're going to crash it. You're crazy. And, yeah. you know, so we were just completely different. And I mean, it's so easy for them to support her because of her being heterosexual <laughs> you know yeah and I feel like for me they just did not fully understand and it's really crazy to look at other kids other queer kids that have the support because when you have the support from your family and love from your family and they push you forward you could do anything yeah and a lot of us don't have that it's really sad that a lot of us have to kind of pull ourselves out of it and figure it out for ourselves at a young age and it, it kind of makes us crazy I feel like even till this day I look back on how I have a lot of self-doubt towards my art or towards things that I want to work for because I feel like I'm going to fail or yeah. uh, you, oh, yeah. you're not going to, you're not going to get there. It's not going to happen for you. And I feel, or even I was just saying recently that still to this day, I don't like my journey with my parents has gone from them accepting me and then my boyfriend being amazing and then accepting us. And I've had the best life ever. I've been so lucky to have the best parents ever, even though we didn't see eye to eye at the time, but there were so many family things going on with money and sickness and everything that I feel like 
it was just a really fucked up time. And when I look yeah. at it now, I don't, I don't blame them for not understanding me and not having the time to. Yeah. Because there was so much going on. Um, so I don't blame them. I'm not mad at them. We worked it out and we're good. We're all happy now. Um, my boyfriend is my biggest supporter. And at one point he kind of just said like, I'm tired of hearing you talking about drag and art and this and that. Just fucking do it or stop talking about it. And I did it. And here we are today. I'm Frankie Doom. Yeah. <laughs> Wearing wigs and living <laughs> my drag all the time. <laughs> but my mom wasn't cool with it. She was very like, I had a son. I didn't have a daughter. What is this? And she doesn't understand that there's a separation between being a trans person and a drag queen or, mm. you know, or even like, she has no idea what the hell a, a non-binary person was <laughs> or, or anything really. She, to her, it's completely new. So I think it's really cool that I've been able to educate them as my journey has gone on and they've now fully um, supported my drag career and mm-hmm. they're super about it. My dad thinks it's weird. I remember he told me that I was hideous one time and I had <laughs> done the drag. I did the drag yell pageant that night though and I won. So I came home covered in blood. I mean, sometimes you got to be hideous. Right. And I remember coming home. I felt gorgeous. And I was like, your son is a fucking, like, beauty queen, girl. I have a stash. I have flowers and a crown. And I won some money. Like, say what you want, you know? And it's been, it's been uh, not easy. But we've argued and screamed and fought through it. And I've made them understand that this is who I am. And mm-hmm. they're totally cool. Mostly cool with it now. My mom loves wearing my wigs and hanging out. <laughs> and we have a lot of convos about you know, non-binary, um, trans, different things. So she understands that there's all kinds of people and everyone's different. And there's no real like, girl is this, boy is this. And there's just so much. So she just sits there and says, I, I need to understand what this is. Explain it to me again, what's going on? So I always tease her like, mom, I'm gender fluid. And she's like, what's that? I'm like, mom, I'm trans. Just like, mess <laughs> with her. And she's just like, oh my God, what does that mean? Okay, tell me more. Like, I want to know more. So it's really cool to like have convos with her. and understand yeah. learn myself more about it and then teach her about it that's really cool that's incredible um so th- you said that um the turning point for you was you just kind of going cold turkey was yeah that was that just of your own volition like you just woke up one day and you're like i gotta stop this or because it sounded like your family was kind of in favor of it simply because you quote unquote looked good so well, you didn't kind of, necessarily have I, people I like, like telling you that, not to do it. It's that denial of like, mm. you know, oh no, my son's not gay. He's just really into school right now. Or he's <laughs> too busy. You know what I mean? And then there's also the, my son doesn't do drugs. He's just, I don't know. He has bad friends. He's friends with the bad influences, you know, whatever. And yeah. now she, now she jokes. She's like, I've always known who you always knew you were the bad influence. Like she always said, I was the, I was the one, like I was the ringleader. <laughs> but, um, uh, I, I think I just told myself that like if I ever was in a situation where I was starting to hear things and see things that weren't there and I was going insane that that was like the turning point where you don't really come back from that you end up a crazy mm. toothless person in the street you know what I mean so I, I didn't want to lose who I was and there was a time when I came home and I was on a really crazy bender and my biggest fear is home invasion so like movies like The Strangers fuck me up oh I, I bet so scared <laughs> so like I guess I was just really high and I hadn't slept in forever and I was just out of it. And I started hearing noises like somebody was breaking in my house and I freaked out. So I picked up this giant kitchen knife and I went to the room and I closed my door, locked myself in. I called my friend in a panic and she was like, what's wrong? I said, there's somebody in my house. Should I call the police? I was like, no, I have drugs. (laughs) And I sat in my closet in the dark 
freaking out. And she's like, well, what are you doing? I was like, well, clearly I'm doing drugs in the dark. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and she said, uh, maybe, you should, maybe you shouldn't be doing drugs. Maybe you should be like getting help or getting the fuck out. And I was like, nope, nope. I'm sitting here. If anybody comes in this room or comes in this closet, I'm just going to stab them. I'm ready. And she was like, John, you need to go to sleep. You need to relax. Like, there's nobody there. I'm sure it's just you. And she like talked to me and I calmed down a little. And then I started hearing voices under my door, I believe, that night too. Mm. And people were talking about me. And there was my mom and my dad were asleep. But there I was hearing them saying that I was a failure and that I was this and that and just talking shit. And it freaked me out. And I remember taking a moment to be like, okay, this is like your moment of like lucidity. Um, what the fuck is wrong with you? You're seeing shit, you're hearing shit. None of this is real. You need to put this shit down. And this is, this is the wake up moment, like stop. Yeah. So that was, I think the moment that I said, okay, this is it. I need to get my shit together and this is scary. And I tried really hard, I think a couple times. And like I said, I was still seeing friends and stuff. So that was really hard to get over. And then I just kind of had to cut everybody off you know, and once I did that, I was able to fully like sleep 13 hours and eat a fucking whole pizza to myself and like <laughs> and, you know, come out of it as a human being again and not be this like crazy drug addicted monster. <laughs> yeah. And once I was able to actually get a night's rest and like kind of hibernate and heal a little bit and get myself back together, it was kind of like, okay, we're not going to go back there again. Let's see where this, where we're heading now. You yeah. Know? And when I, when I met my boy, friend I had told him like I want you to know that I recently quit uh, drugs and I'm gonna start getting fat so I just want you to know that I'm gonna become like enormous <laughs> and he didn't care he was like that's fine whatever like you're a great person and it happened I've gotten enormous I've gotten fat but I'm not mad about it <laughs> some of us are just meant to be that way <laughs> <laughs> I've just always had these big bones I don't know <laughs> <laughs> um I think Something that's always been on my mind and a question that I have, um, it's because I've had a few friends throughout my life who have um, had struggles with addiction and things like that. And I'm the kind of person, I am I have such a mothering spirit that I just want to fix people all the time. And I never know how to approach that kind of situation. I never know if I can even approach that kind of situation. So I guess the question is like, if, if someone had come to you and said, you have a problem, let me help you, would you have been receptive to that at all? Or do you think that you had to come to that decision kind of on your own when you got to that place? Um, I had this talk recently with the group about um, addiction and we had discussed, you know, getting a rehab or a seeking help or whatnot. And mm -hmm from my experience and from other people that I've talked to, because I've had friends that have gotten arrested for having drugs on them. And for me, it's, you have to want to yourself. If you don't see it a problem and you don't see that it's something that's fucking you up and destroying your life, you won't fix it. You know what I yeah. mean? So anybody can come up to you and tell you have a problem and you're going to say, yeah, sure. I do not have that problem. <laughs> um, I think a turning point for me also was a really good friend of mine, my friend Jeanette. We've known each other since we were, I think 11 or 10 years old. And she's this little punk rock kid from Argentina. And, yes. You know, she's amazing. We spent so much time together growing up and just being trashy goth kids. And it got to a point where she pulled me aside and kind of cried to me and said, I can't be your friend anymore because you're killing yourself. And I know you don't want to stop. And I've told you that I want you to 
seek help or to get yourself together and you don't want to you're not actively trying to so me watching you self-destruct is painful for me to watch so mm. i can't be around you anymore and i respected her i mean what can you do you know i wasn't ready to stop yet and but that i remember that moment kind of like really breaking my heart and you know i was told that i had problems and i was like nope i'm, I'm fine but i myself realized that I needed to stop, that I wanted to, that it was something that I needed to do. And that's mm -hmm. why I think I was able to just kind of cold turkey it. I know some people need more help, but um, like, like I said, because of my experience with my friends, I've had friends arrested and, you know, given tickets and whatnot for having things on them. And I've gone to meetings with them. I've gone with, with them to get the help they need because it's not because they want to, it's because it's court sanctioned. So they have to go because they're gonna, they're in trouble. So for them it was i don't want to be here i don't have a problem these people are crazy and you're hearing these really sad stories about people losing their families completely or losing themselves or never seeing that loved one one last time yeah you know what i mean and just really heartbreaking stories that sank into me because i was already kind of like on that path of like this is affecting me i don't want to not be around my family my family is super important to me you know my friendships are important to me my life is important to me i'm not going to do this forever like just stuff like that and they were not in that same mental space so for them it was one year one in, in one year out the other for yeah. me it was life-changing so i feel like things happen for a reason and i was able to be in these situations to understand and to get myself out of where i was you know what i mean yeah i had completely. to kind of come to terms that being used for your body isn't normal and isn't healthy and having people just want you for what you look like and what you feel like and what you're like in bed isn't good and in a sense you know giving yourself up to people because you want that attention and want that love yeah it's unhealthy and you have to find other ways to fix it and i think once i was able to get myself out of those shitty situations um and kind of get myself out of the haze i was able to receive what i needed and heal with my family and talk to my parents and express my feelings and they're not, they're not always going to get it. I mean, you kind of have to realize that they're not going to get where you're coming from all the time, yeah. but you're able to kind of agree to disagree. Your parents don't think they ruined you. They don't realize that they hurt you or done something to you. So you kind of have to just scream it out, get everything out on the table and then from there move forward. And I've been able to do that. And it's so rewarding to wake up every morning and hug my mom and my dad and tell them how much I love them and for them to support me and love me and, to wake up every morning with my dogs, my kids, and my, my <laughs> boyfriend, who's incredible. You know what I mean? So yeah. there's definitely light at the end of the tunnel. And definitely, life is much better when you're not on a million drugs and being crazy. And I think <laughs> another, another thing that saved me was my art. Like, I, didn't, I, never, I never tried drag before. Like, I've always done makeup and always done special effects and things like that. And when I actually dive, dove into drag, um, thanks to my boyfriends, like, telling me, fuck it, just do it. I had the best time ever performing for the first time. Wasted out of my mind as Ursula the Sea Witch. Yeah. And I felt it. It was my moment. I did amazing because people live for it. So I felt like this is my art. This is my new addiction. And I feel like mm. I've replaced all of that with the rhinestones and wigs and glitter and blood. <laughs> Which I mean <laughs> is I a great jollies. addiction. <laughs> Very that. And now I get my jollies from rhinestoning everything and throwing blood all over it. <laughs> yes. So how did... How did the the monster of Frankie Doom come about then? So with the with art kind of being your savior, how did it go from like 
just a kid to like crazy drag monster. Cause I feel like I've that, always been a monster. I've always been a yeah. girl. I've always put on uh, fangs in high school. I girl, I was so tiny. I was always wearing <laughs> fishnet shirts and vinyl pants and like thongs and like big fangs and crazy drag makeup. I shaved my eyebrows off. So I had like tiny eyebrows that I, w- I would draw on every day. Like, yes, I was, I was real painted. <laughs> um, that just kind of evolved. And then I used to go out as a dude a lot. And that was kind of like still, even as a teenager, or like or I was when I was 18, I think going out to bars and clubs, I'd always wear demon wings and horns and little underwear. And I was always like the scary one. And my friends were the angels and I was the demon. Yeah. It was kind of like what we did. And then when drag happened, it was immediately like, scary it was always i want to be the most beautiful girl in the room but i want to be bloody horrifying and have a weapon like i want to be living a horror movie i love horror movies it, mm-hmm. it was either like very slasher movie or exorcist i was very like i want horns i want teeth i want to be a demon queen so that's kind of where it started it, it always started as scary murderous i remember um i did cannibal by kesha mm-hmm. everyone's first number right and <laughs> <laughs> every scary queen's first number I remember um, I stabbed my boyfriend, cut him open, and pulled the guts out and was eating them on stage. And there was just blood everywhere. And I remember Jessica Wilde came over and she was like, sister, why are you mad? <laughs> like, <laughs> or she would come over and say, sister, who are you killing today? <laughs> <laughs> I love her. I thought that was so funny. Oh, she's one of my favorite people on earth. Oh, yeah. And that was really cool. I liked being known for that. I liked being known for being tall beautiful with giant boobs and giant hair and then always killing somebody or being bloody or <laughs> spitting out some shit, you know, and wearing giant shoes. It's, it's been quite a journey. And I think um, being on Dragula was also really amazing for me and getting to actually getting recognition for my art was really cool. Yeah. I had competed in other stuff like um, smaller pageants and stuff just for fun, like at bars. Um, and I never, I, always, I felt like I never got, I, people didn't get it. Like it was always, we want the Nicki Minaj girl to win because she's cute and wears, yeah. and it's a little twinkie boy with no pads and like hair and whatever. Yep. And here I come out, you know, six foot seven and everyone's just like, you're too big. Like you're, you're really intense. <laughs> like you're a lot. So I didn't really do that well. And then I did Melissa Bethierce's pageant. And I feel that I was her special guest. And I remember it coming out, coming out. And everyone cheered. And I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to fuck this shit up. And I walked into that pageant, pale as shit, with purple hair, doing Susie and the Banshees. Yes. And by that, time it was, by that time it was over, I was a very tan Latina woman <laughs> <laughs> with really crappy plastic rhinestones. I lost, mind you. But I was in the top three. The curse of the top three. <laughs> I always almost make it there. <laughs> hey, I mean... You were my favorite on that season. Don't tell, <laughs> don't tell Vander and Melissa. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it was so cool to work with her because she was someone that I've looked up to forever in the drag scene. Mm. Like, whether we're the same kind of drag or not, Melissa's just like I don't even know how to put it into words. She's a force. She's so smart. She's so creative. She creates all her own stuff. She, she does it so fast. It's like just so polished and so perfect. Mm. And when she performs, it's like magic. So I wanted to be like her I want I idolized her you know I still do and um even Vander though like meeting Vander on the show and seeing his art was very like all right so I need to clean this up a little bit because this is what this could be you know what I mean yeah I'm just a big a big crazy mess and it was really cool to just kind of put us all together and it was a fun top three it was really fun to oh, yeah. be with them at the end and 
yeah, I, I've learned so much just from Dragula, from drag in general, from competing and trying out and just being so different. Mm-hmm. And I remember one of my critiques was, you're, you don't have that polish. You don't have that extra that you need or your stuff's ripped or whatever. Granted, I thought that was a stupid read because it was a zombie challenge. I was like, bitch, I'm dead. Of course, <laughs> my corset is ripped. That being said, I am garbage. And that corset was the corset I wore all the time and it was ripped. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, whatever, it's cool. Um, and that was a personal challenge for me to like yeah. get out of Dragula and polish it up a little bit. Because even when I watch like the last episode, my glamour, I'm just like, that dress is beautiful. Everything is beautiful, but it's still messy, girl. I still look a little yeah. mess. <laughs> I had no nails on. What's wrong with me? So <laughs> nails, what are those? <laughs> lit a fire under my ass, and I've definitely felt the glow up. Like mm. everything has crystals on Everything up. has nails. <laughs> everything has bigger hair and jewels and it's just I've really thrown myself into caring more about what I'm putting out and being in love with drag a thousand times more you know yeah yeah what there were a lot of really of of course because it was Dragula but there were a lot of really intense and crazy challenges on that season what what challenge did you connect to the most hmm and what sticks out in your mind is like the challenge that kind of felt because I you hear that that storyline in a lot of shows of just like there's that that one challenge that kind of brings you into your own. I think the challenge that did it for me was the San Francisco challenge, like the two parts. Cause yeah. What I've always wanted to do is travel. I've always wanted to go somewhere new and bring my art somewhere else. So the challenge of like waking up a crack early and throwing yourself in a fucking van and like, you know, <laughs> getting your ass to San Francisco like was really fun and traveling with people and road trips and just all of that was really cool. And then performing for Heclina and Peaches was kind of incredible because I can't well, even imagine and Peaches, you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, it was cool to have their critiques and it was amazing for them to look at my art and enjoy it. But I love performing the most. For me, it's performance. I love getting out there and throwing myself everywhere and bleeding. And I got to be a werewolf. That was fun and have like armpit hair. <laughs> it was, it was really fun to do. I felt like I felt like I was alive, even though I didn't win that. <laughs> and then the sea monster challenge was right after that. That was like the oh second part to that. And that was my favorite favorite. I feel challenge. like that's where I kind of came to life. And I felt like, well, this is me. You know, I love special effects. I love monster makeup. I may not be the most polished girl in the world. I may not have all the rhinestones, but girl, I got this. I got tentacles. I have, oh, yeah. You know, I got the stuff, but I, I made those teeth. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And it was actually really cool to be in the ocean, horrified that my lashes were going to come off and that my makeup was going to come off. And all I lost, I think, was one tooth. Wow. <laughs> it eventually floated back into, like, I think the shore, and Israel pointed out that my tooth was on the floor. <laughs> <in the sand. laughs> and it was fucking cold. It was so uh, cold, but... The Pacific really is cool always the coldest. To be there and be the top four and be like, all right, we are the final four. We made it to the to the almost end. Like, mm. this is it. And it was us four. It was really cool to have that moment and share that together. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. This is going to be terrible. It's been so long since I've watched the season. So it was Vander, Melissa, you, and who was the four? Meatball. Meatball. Oh, my God. How did I forget that? I'm sorry, Meatball. <laughs> I doubt you'll ever actually listen to my podcast, but <laughs> hi, I still love you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, I think 
there's a lot to be said for, and I know a lot of people in the queer community, especially, um, have a long history with either sobriety or non-sobriety, and it it has impacted where they are in the community, and it's impacted our community as a whole, and it's something I don't know if we collectively know how to discuss and how to bring up with each other, um, because it is such a huge, a huge part of the community, and it's, I don't know, I don't think I have a question here. It's just a statement of, I, as someone who I personally have never struggled in that area, I have a whole heck of a lot of other struggles. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in that particular area, so I have, I have trouble understanding how to help people. Um, and so I just see this, this community hurting in so many ways. Um, and I don't even know where to begin to address it and what people can do about it. I feel like it's important to have these conversations not be taboo. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, if we're all sitting here collectively doing a whole bunch of crack and fucking drinking all the time and fucking in hotels, we should be really okay with talking about it. You know what I mean? Like if it's fully, if it's, if it's that like common that this is what's happening, then we should be okay with, we shouldn't be ashamed of it then. You yeah. know what I mean? Uh, I think it's important to, to also take the glamour out of it. Like, mm. so many people are on these, like, apps. Granted, I don't use them, so I'm, I'm not exactly sure how they work. But I know that <laughs> I've heard from friends and things, and I've seen it happen where there's, like, you know, parties, and there's people talking about, you know, we're all going to party and play or do whatever or meet up at sex parties and do drugs and whatnot. And I feel like it sounds really glamorous in theory because you're going to go to this, like, room full of hot guys and eat ass and, like, you know, <laughs> fuck each other. But if you literally put up a picture of what's going to happen to you after and show people mm. that you're going to end up either dead or toothless and gross and like full of like skin irritation from picking yourself because you're crazy. Nobody wants that eating their ass. Yeah. I mean, like there no, it is, you know, <laughs> let's, let's be real. Not every room you're going to walk into is going to be beautiful buff men doing math. It's going to be a whole bunch of toothless, creepy dude. <laughs> and they're all going to munch on your ass with one tooth. It's yep. not that glamorous. So, <laughs> I think talking about it openly and actually discussing the problem and discussing the mm. issue and discussing it in reality and the true pictures of what it looks like to be an addict. Yeah. We'll scare the fuck out of people to not do fucking drugs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, fully. Are there, do you know of, of resources that you would like people to be aware of um, in terms of like, if they find themselves in that place of turning around Honestly, what worked for me, what helped, what helped me a lot was looking up before and after photos. Like, mm. every time I thought about, like, doing drugs or falling back or even just considering one more time, fuck it, I would always look up pictures of people on drugs and it's the scariest thing to look at because it's literally walking dead. Oh, yeah. And that, I mean, it's my, I guess, my own, like, need to be gorgeous i was like i'm not gonna look like that hell no like you know like i like my chubby cheeks i'll, I'll keep i'll keep my fat <laughs> i think that worked for me um just looking at the reality of things like looking at it with a clear perspective of like this is where you're headed this is what it is take the glitter off take the cute dude away it's mm -hmm. a pipe full of drugs and it's still poisons and it's still crazy and it's still gross and 
It's very unsafe. Yeah. And it leads you to unsafe situations. And I never again want, well, I can't even, like, looking back at what I did and hearing the stories of what I've done with my friends, like, there's times where we've discussed, like, me being in a hotel room and there were guys out of prison there and they were doing prison tats and then the cops came and I had to jump in the shower and hide from the police and then I keistered the drugs, mind you. I put them in my cheeks. And, and I had to walk out with a pipe and drugs in my cheeks, walking very carefully. Um, I would never do that now. What the hell was I thinking? Like, I was fucking 17 or 16. Oh. What the hell was wrong with me? You know what I mean? Um, so stuff like that, I look back on it like, you don't want to be that person. I don't even mm. know who that person was or how I even got there. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's a I never want to be in a, in, I never want to be in a room again where I'm powerless against someone who is attacking me and biting me and doing things to me that I don't want to be done to me. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So there's definitely an ugly side to it and we should definitely show that to people and stop glamorizing drugs and sex. Absolutely. I I mean, I the, the image that immediately springs to mind when you say glamorizing drugs is how every single child at some point in their lives picks up a straw or a pencil or something. And I mean, tobacco is a drug, whichever way you spin it, picks up that pencil or straw or whatever and pretends it's a cigarette and you feel the most glamorous. You feel right. silver screen fantasy. And oh my it, god, it's totally crazy. <laughs> oh my god. And it, it's it's crazy that even now and with as as quote unquote light of a drug that tobacco is, that it that that idea of glamour that goes along with it is still so pervasive. Like I remember doing that when I was like four and five. Like yeah, you're sitting there at McDonald's. Your friends are in the play place, and you're sitting there at the table just pretending to smoke a straw. Like <laughs> <laughs> I used to smoke when I used to walk home from middle school. Like I remember, I thought I was so cool back then, and I had to walk home. So I would be walking with these like you know tough kids, the hoods. I'm just kidding, <laughs> I'm just kidding. but you know and the tough kids and I'd be smoking my cigarettes and I don't even know how the fuck did I get cigarettes back then? I don't even remember, but <laughs> there I was smoking cigarettes with these kids and they always tasted like shit. Oh yeah. There's not one good thing about it. I really don't. I mean, menthols are nice and I did enjoy those for a bit when I was drinking a lot and whatever, but even then <laughs> I don't drink that much either anymore at all, but I haven't smoked in a million years, but I'm just saying like, I remember being a drunk high school kid, just fucking always smoking menthols, but they're never good. That's never mm-hmm. tasted good. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's gross. Oh, yeah. I don't know. And I feel like that too, though. I think I was in high school where this lady came and she had that hole in her throat. What, what are those called? Stomas? Oh my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not and sure she what was, they're called, but oh and, God. I mean, I don't want to mock her because I was going to totally make the voice. It was, it was scary, but I'm not. That's shitty. But the voice is what scared me. Like her voice yeah. was so creepy and the hole freaked me out. And then her talking about how like things fall out of it and it's oozing stuff. It was just the scariest thing ever. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like, yeah, I'm good. I'm yeah. okay. I don't want any of that. And then recently, I think I've seen this commercial, I mean, the recent years, uh, where there's, like, people being glamorous in a music video or whatever in a club, and then it shows, like, it pans away, and there's a man in the hospital, and he's sitting there with emphysema, like, with a breather thing on, and it's like, this is what it looks like. Yeah. And I'm like, well, there you go. Like, yeah. that's what we need to do. We need to demystify. Well, the, the crazy thing uh, about the crazy thing about that, though, specifically with smoking, so I've spent a lot of last year in the U.K., 
And in the UK, on the cigarette packs themselves, they print pictures of smokers' lungs. And it's like the most disgusting thing. And the idea behind it is like, well, people aren't going to buy cigarettes if every time they pick it up, they see it like gross infected yeah like tar filled lung but that people, would do it for me honestly <laughs> people still smoke and it's a like it's the only thing i hate about the uk is just you walk outside and you can just smell the tobacco in the air and you're just like oh my god how funny you mentioned that why um, so <laughs> my first time in alaska we had gone over there and walking out of like the airport to like alaska's fresh air was kind of incredible I and bet. um so when we came back, we were like, oh, we're home. Oh, my God, this is great. And then you flew into Los Angeles. And I was like, fuck, it's hot. It's a fucking desert. Like, you know how, like, in TV shows and in movies, I always pan over Santa Monica, and it's, like, this beautiful beach, and, like, it's all blue mm -hmm. and green and beautiful? Girl, no. It looks like Resident Evil when you fly over this shit. Yeah. <laughs> it was nothing like that. And then we got off the plane, and um, immediately, everybody was mad. Everybody was in a bad mood. And smoking everywhere. And it was, like, just breathing in cigarettes. And it was just like, wow. We're back here again. Like, what are people doing? I don't know. It's gross. It's awful. And it was so just, I, I don't it was smoke just any, as... I don't smoke at all anymore. Good. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Every, every so often, like, there'll be, like, a time to, uh, well, even then when I used to drink. But, like, I'd be like, okay, well, just one puff. And I, like, puff off my sister's, like, cigarette because she always has menthols on her. But even then, no. I don't know. It's kind of gross. Um, and then I've I kind of only... gave up drinking. I gave up drinking, too, kind of. I kind of realized that I was drinking a lot and that my drag mm -hmm. was consisting of me getting dressed up to get shit-faced with my friends. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't want to constantly be shit-faced or wake up, like, sick the next morning or I just did not love not knowing what the fuck happened. Yeah. Like, I woke up like, what happened yesterday? Oh, my God, am I at Zochi's house? God, I have the drunk shits. I feel terrible. Like, that's just not cool. So I kind of got over that and... Don't drink really anymore. So now whenever I have one drink, I'm just like, woo, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I'm fucked up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> totally. I rarely drink. So anytime I go to a bar and I'm like, I'll have one drink tonight, I'll get like a rum and Coke, something with a lot of sugar in it, yeah. and get like super drunk for like, I don't know, 10 minutes, and then it's done. And I'm like, <laughs> hey, got that out of my system. I could just like have a Red Bull and be good the rest of the night. <laughs> I just had, I think recently I had, we went to go eat because Chili's is open and they were doing like pickup. <laughs> You know, but you yeah. can also get drinks. So I was like, okay, we can get fucked up in the parking lot. So like, <laughs> I picked up like I think a six pack of Trulies. I didn't know what Trulies were, and I got home. I think I drank two, and I got fucking shit faced. Wow, really? they're like flavored seltzer water, but it's like so it tastes oh. like fizzy water with like a little bit of a blackberry taste or some kind of taste. Okay, but but it has booze in it. I'm assuming it's some kind of vodka situation. I don't know. Oh, okay. But I legit had the worst headache. And I was like hungover. I didn't even get wasted. Like I got kind of buzzed. Then it went straight to like, oh, this does not feel cute. Yeah, <laughs> it's called you don't drink very often, and we're getting old. <laughs> right, that part. This la this actual uh, a week ago was my first time leaving home. I haven't really left my home in like three months. Yeah, and I got booked in Nebraska. Ooh, I was nervous to go out again, but I figured like, well, these are my friends. I'm really good friends with them, and it's gonna be a great time. And at some point, I'm going to face this, like, decision of whether I'm going to continue working or just not, <laughs> yeah. you know? So I said, fuck it. If I'm going to go anywhere, it's going to be to see some of my really good friends in Nebraska. So yeah. I went to go stay with my friend Flo, and the airport was empty. So it was oh, yeah. scary, really. Everything Airports was clean. Airports are great right now. <laughs> amazing, yeah. And then I got there, 
everybody was like, we're going to get shit-faced. And I was like, oh, God, I'm scared that they're all, like, 20, 20-somethings. And I'm, like, already in my 30s. I'm, like, old. So I had to, like, babysit. And they kept catching me. They were like, Frankie, you haven't drank your drink. And I was like, oh, okay. So I would, like, take a tiny little sip. They just sipped it. And I was like, okay. God. I had to pretend to get wasted. I don't know. It was, I was afraid of getting shit-faced. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I've, yeah, I honestly, I don't. If I drink when I go out, I have like one drink, maybe two if I'm feeling really crazy. But like I said, it's always a rum and coke, and it's mostly sugar and not very much al- alcohol. And I've only See, everyone gives me everyone gives me whiskey cokes, and well, I love whiskey coke, but oh, I can't I do get, whiskey. It makes me angry. I, I get like get so angry. A full cup of whiskey and a splash of coke. <laughs> so it's like mostly whiskey. So then I'll have the one, and I'm just like, the one is all I need. And then I'll get loud, and then I'm like, give me two. I'll have another. <laughs> so I had to control myself. I had to stop. And they had this stuff over there called uh, Black House. And it's like a blueberry or a blackberry uh, liquor. It yes, please. Like candy. Yes, please. Tastes so good. I'm here and, for it. Um, the first night, everybody was like, let me get you a shot. Let me get you a shot. Let me get you a shot. I was like, shots in. I had a drink. I was like, you know what? I need to quit now. I kept asking for water. They were like, water. I was like, I need water, girl. Yep. I need some water. PSA to anyone listening, if you don't want a hangover, for every drink you have, drink a pint of water. That part. And you won't also, I'm really, magically I'm really, won't have a hangover the next I'm really day. not big on getting wasted before I perform because I feel like Same. I'm there to do a job. So yep. I'm going to perform to the best of my abilities. And then after, if I want to get a little loud, whatever. But yeah, yeah. so I tried to keep it together. And then by the time I was done, I was like, all right, I'm not trying to drink anymore. No one's looking at me now. No one's going to force drinks in my hand. <laughs> right. It, it, it was chill. It was a good time. It was actually really fun to be on stage again. I bet. Oh my God. I miss, I miss that. <laughs> so much. <laughs> I miss it a lot. I miss dressing up and putting on shoes. I had said how I was kind of nervous because I haven't worn heels in so long that I feel like I'm not going to remember how to walk in them. Right. But I just, cool. I just ordered new heels and it was like, I usually order the actual size I need because I'm like used to it. And I have the same pair that I've worn for the last like two years. And then I ordered, went to order new shoes and I was like, I think I'm going to be smart because I'm getting older and I hate wearing shoes and they already hurt. I'm going to go a size up this time. <laughs> <laughs> that only works on everything except pumps. Yeah. Because then you just slide forward and your toes hurt. Yeah. <laughs> oh well. Anyway, thank you so so much for sitting down and talking with me. I've really enjoyed actually like getting to hear your story and get to know a little bit more about you. Thank you for listening. I went right into it, huh? Just, yeah. Like, hey, no, I appreciated right that. <laughs> <laughs> um, where can listeners find you online? Slash, how can people tip you? Oh, tips. Mm-hmm. Um. You can find me on Instagram. Uh, right now, it's Frankie underscore K underscore Doom. <laughs> I added a K. Ooh. I'm an honorary Kennedy now. <laughs> Ooh, congratulations. There's some really cool queens that I met in uh, Nebraska, and they're fucking amazing, and they have the cutest necklaces. And I was like, I want my necklace. So <laughs> I had to be one so I can get that necklace. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but they're, they're incredible. They're like beautiful pageant queens. Um, so they're cool. Uh, so yeah, Frankie underscore K underscore Doom on Instagram um, or on Facebook. I have my Frankie Doom page that I should actually give more love to because I would just post on my regular. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all, it's all connected. It's all connected. No, yeah. Um, 
And if you want to tip me, there's uh, PayPal, which is uh, Frankie Doom, and Venmo, it's Frankie Doom. Perfect. Go for it. And all of the podcast information, including where you can find us online and how you can tip us and send us any kinds of comments, questions, concerns, or freakouts will be down in the description box. Thank you again, Frankie. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. It's so good to see you. You too. Have a good night. Stay safe. And you're moving here, right? You're moving out to LA. I will be in the fall as long as quarantine doesn't right, leave right. me of my yeah. entire budget. So then <laughs> I'll get to see you in human form at some point yeah. soon. Yay! <laughs> I'm so excited. All right. Yeah, All right. Have a good night. Yeah. You too. Bye. Bye. Yeah, Thank you for listening to Yeah But with Vivian Gabor. Tune in next week, same place, same time. Yeah.